0: And now, here's the episode. Hi, everybody. It's so good to see you. I missed you so much. I wasn't here the last couple of weeks, but apparently neither were most of you, so it's cool. <laughs> Spring break. It happens. Uh, I, uh, Sharon and I and the kids, we actually did like a whole thing. We um, uh, It was a work trip. We, I preached at a couple of conferences and... Uh, at a couple of different churches, and it was a whirlwind, and it was a lot of teaching. It was too much teaching, and it was kind of exhausting. So it's really good to be home. It's really good to be back with you guys. Um, all right, so we are in this series, Varnished, and we're working our way through Galatians 1 and 2, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll start working on Galatians 3 and 4, and so on. Um, so we're in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 is where we're going to get, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 10, so if you have your Bibles. You can start there, um, and then we will, we will make our way to Galatians in time. Uh, story of my own before we begin. Uh, when I was in middle school, I'm pretty sure I was in the seventh grade when this happened. There was a disturbing trend developing on the school bus. Uh, there was a girl, we'll say her name was Olivia, and uh, Olivia didn't really fit people's social expectations and uh, she had a really hard time, and she got bullied a lot, like, like a lot. And uh, it started getting extreme on the school bus. And what would happen is, as we approached Olivia's home uh, to pick her up, uh, then the everybody on the bus, just about everybody, would start chanting, Bucky, Bucky, she needed braces. And so uh, it would... It would be like frothy and loud by the time it got to the stop. She could hear it from outside. And then, um, believe it or not, it sounds extreme, but they would get the whole bus rocking back and forth. So that it just felt like chaotic when she got on the bus. And, and she'd get on the bus, and people would say and do awful things. And sometimes she'd fight back, and sometimes she wouldn't fight back. But always she would cry. And it was just awful. It was just awful. This went on for a while. And then uh, one morning... After I had really psyched myself up, um, we were moving toward Olivia's stop, and people started to chant, and I stood up and looked at everybody, and I said, this is ridiculous. You have to stop. You guys are pathetic. I I really laid on the shame. I wasn't shy about it. And I was absolutely terrified. You know, I was nowhere near the biggest or the oldest or the most popular kid on that bus, but I didn't care. I stood up. I was terrified, but I went. I said, you guys have to stop. You should be ashamed of yourself. She's a human being. She's never done anything to hurt any of you. This has to stop now. It's over. And some people looked at me like they were going to rip my face off, and most people just stared at their shoes in shame, and they stopped. And Olivia got on the bus, and, and uh, she was looking around with surprised that nothing was happening and no one said or did anything. And then she sat down and I I remember looking over at her and saw her sort of quietly smiling to herself like maybe the nightmare's over. And and then the next morning, um, as we approached Olivia's house again, a couple of people started to chant and I stood up and just looked at them and stopped. And then the next day, nobody even tried. Because I put a stop to it. Like a gosh darn superhero. (laughs) Don't clap. The story's not over. Don't clap. So a couple of weeks passed, maybe three, something like that. And nobody tried it again. And I felt like it was over. And I stopped thinking about it. Um, And then one morning, on the way to the bus stop, as we got closer to Olivia's, a couple of people started chanting. I got brave enough to try it again, and I thought, "Oh gosh!" And I looked up, and there was about a half a dozen pairs of eyes looking right at me, <laughs> going, "Aaron, look, let's go. You gotta, you gotta stop this. You're the one who does the thing that make it stop." And I just thought, ah, "I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to be like the school bus morality police." Who stands up and yells at people when they're mean. Like, I just don't, I don't want that to be the thing that I am. I just, I don't want to. So I didn't say anything. And it happened again. And it continued to happen for the rest of the semester. And I didn't do a thing about it because I was a coward. Told you not to clap. All right, so... I would love for you to forget about that story, but don't forget about that story. And now let's look to Acts chapter 10. Uh, this is about Peter, the apostle. He was one of the 12. If you're a Bible nerd, you know all about Peter. But he was one of the guys who walked and lived with Jesus during his ministry. And, and we're picking up in Acts, which is after Jesus has died, uh, was resurrected, and had returned to heaven to be with the Lord. And so um, now the apostles, the disciples, were, were leading this new church that was now... Um, spreading and growing. So we're kind of picking up in the midst of that story and and where we're picking up, Peter was on his rooftop and he was praying and he had a vision, which sounds dangerous. I just now thought about that, on a roof and having a vision, but anyway, my mind. Okay, verse 11, let's pick up there. He saw heaven opened, this is the vision, try and picture it as we go. Heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth, And in it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, no, Lord, which is two words I don't recommend you ever say, but he said it. (laughs) He said, no, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. What he's saying is I'm a Jew and Jewish folks don't eat. Food like that. Like we got rules and laws. It's in the Torah and we don't, we, don't, we don't eat that stuff. And so no. Verse 15. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call him pure. This happened three times. And suddenly the, the object was taken up into heaven. Now, verse 19. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them with no doubts at all. Because I have sent them. And then you could probably guess what happened next Would you know it. There were three guys uh, knocking at the door. They were looking for Peter. But it wasn't just any three guys. It was, it was three Gentiles. And Jews aren't supposed to hang out with Gentiles. That was kind of one of the rules. But the Lord had said, go with them and don't be afraid. And, you know, no doubts at all. So, so he went. So he goes with them. And they have, a, they have a journey. And they go to the home of a Gentile. Uh, a big home, a wealthy man, and not supposed to, as a Jew, enter into the home of a Gentile. That was a, that was one of the rules. But look at what happens. Verse twenty-eight. Peter said to them, "You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So." May I ask why you sent for me? (laughs) He's like, why why am I here? And so he does what he's not supposed to do. He walks into the home of a Gentile, and what he finds out is there's a whole crowd of Gentiles who are gathered there. And he says, "Why, why am I here? And they said, we would really like for you to tell us about Jesus. So he does. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him And does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And and all means all. And verse 44 Now, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the, the Jews, Who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay a few days and he did. Very big no-no. Now in chapter 11, just a little bit more. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went back to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. This is the moment, right? You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So there's a confrontation here. all right? Peter had broken a law, actually like a few of them. <laughs> And people knew about it, and there were some real sticklers for that, and he went back to Jerusalem where the, where the stickliest of stickliers were, that didn't come out right, and now it's time, now it's time for his reckoning, okay? The, the same kind of folks, and just sort of pull in focus here, the same kind of folks who were kicking up dust in Galatia, we've been talking about this the last several weeks, the, the people who insisted um, that the Christians must live like Jews in all the ways, um, and they were they're really upset with people, with Peter. Those that same crowd, o- only here um, they're called the Circumcision Party. It's just, a, it's just a really two, really weird two words to put right next to each other, <laughs> don't you think? I like, feel like I read that. And I was like, what kind of a party? I think, think I'm busy that night. I don't think I'm coming to that party. But anyway, a circumcision group, you know the... the and again, same group that I've been referring to um, as we've been studying Galatians with the same sensibilities. I've been calling this group the, the Judaizers um, for a couple reasons. One, that seems a whole lot better than the circumcision party. But also, um, I, I, let me take a second to explain that term Judaizers real quick because I've been using it, but I never explained it, so my bad. But um, dating uh, back long before uh, Jesus' day, whenever a Gentile wanted to become uh, a Jew and full on, you know, and do all the things and circumcision and the whole nine yards, um, then that process uh, was Judaizing. That that person, in order to become a Jew, even though they were born a Gentile, they, had, they Judaized. And then after that, they were called Judaizers. Okay, that's just the terminology that they use. And uh, the Jews in the first century that we've been talking about in Galatia, um, they're the ones who wanted all Christians to live like Jews. And they technically... I mean, at least most of them weren't Judaizers themselves because they were just the ones who thought that all Christians should Judaize. Does that make sense? It's sort of weird sounding weird as I say it, but um, they wanted everybody to do that. So technically they weren't Judaizers, but they were sort of the enforcers. <laughs> and so as a shorthand, it's actually not technically correct, but as a shorthand, they're usually referred to as the Judaizers. Okay, anyway, here they're called the circumcision party and, and they're mad at Peter. Because Peter's a Jew, and he did a bunch of not-so-Jewish things like hanging out with Gentiles and and staying in their homes and and eating unclean food and apparently even preaching the gospel to them. And they were not okay with it. They confronted him. They challenged him on it. And then Peter, man, he stood up. Peter was was brave. Um, He stood up to them. And you can read about this in the text, but he he told the whole story, he went through the whole thing about the vision and how he went into the home and he preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit came and was poured out on the Gentiles, and 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 then he just adds, like, who in the world are we or anybody to keep the good news from anyone? And so he was challenged on this and he didn't back down. He didn't he stood up to the troublemakers. And and the, the circumcision party agreed. And actually, it says that they celebrated. It was, it was a circumcision party party. And I couldn't help it. But the point is, Peter won. They confronted him. He stood up. They backed down. He won. And it was a huge, 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 huge moment. Because right about that time, if you keep reading into Acts 11, and I hope that you will, by the way, you'll see this all gets laid out. But right about that time, the Christians were being persecuted more and more. And as a result they were starting to scatter into other lands. And they scattered into other lands because of this moment, knowing that it was okay that they could share the gospel with the Gentiles, with everyone. And so they went and they followed Peter's lead and they began to share Jesus' message everywhere with everyone, no exception. And because of Peter's obedience, because of Peter's courage, the Gospel was now made available to everyone. I do not think it is hyperbole to say that this is one of the most significant moments in the history of the world. Peter's like a like a gosh darn superhero, stands up all right. so I said all that as a backdrop to our Galatians text, which we're finally ready for now, Galatians chapter two, verse eleven. but when Cephas, we're going to pause here, Bible nerds. Uh, Anybody know who Cephas was? Yeah, you're right. Peter. So uh, the words Peter means Cephas, and Cephas means Peter, and they're used interchangeably, and so it's confusing. But this is Peter, the same apostle Peter we've just been reading about. So when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul said, because he stood condemned. Well, how come? Here we go. He regularly ate with the Gentiles Before certain men came from James, however, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Remember the people that he stood up to and he won? Now he's afraid of those same people. Verse 13, then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So unfortunately, the story here is it's actually pretty simple. It's pretty clear. Uh, Peter had all the stuff happen to him. You know, he had the visions and he got the message and he, and he brought the gospel to the Gentiles and he saw the Holy Spirit come and then he defended the Gentiles and he stood up to the troublemakers and he held his ground and, and he was brave and he won and people followed him. But then, at some point along the way, these these visions that he had from God, the miraculous outpourings of the Lord's Spirit, the, the galvanized, determined, inspiring resolve and leadership, that stuff all apparently just faded away. And then, Peter, the very same guy who laid it all on the line in defense of the Gentiles, started looking around. And he saw that he was surrounded by a a lot of Jews and and not a lot of Gentiles. And the Jews wanted him to behave a certain way. and He just didn't feel like pushing back. And so he decided, like a coward, to dismiss what he knew, to dismiss the word of the Lord, the power of the gospel, to change and transform everything. And so he just stopped hanging out with Gentiles to, to please the majority. And all because he was, a, he was afraid of the people he had already stood up to. And he started doing the very thing that he fought to put a stop to. And once again, just like before when it was good, now when it's bad, people followed his lead. And you can even, I, I think you can hear the sadness in Paul's words that we just read where he goes, man, even Barnabas was led astray. Like, that was my guy, you know, even Barnabas. And the reason that Paul has to address this um, in his letter that he's writing to the Galatians is because, apparently, Peter's failure in this became a calling card for the Judaizers in Galatia. Because Peter's a really big deal, you know? And so what they're doing, they're, they're like cherry-picking that story, and they're saying, see, Peter agrees with us. He, he sees it the way that we see it. And so, to be clear... Paul's telling the story about when he put Peter in his place, not because he's trying to kick Peter while he's down, there's no spite in this. He's just setting the story straight because it's got to be set straight. And Paul had to intervene. He had to do it in defense of the Gentiles because Peter had undecided something really important. Now, I would just love to tell you that I uh, would never do anything like what Peter did, that I would never, you know, stand up for the marginalized and defend their humanity and then backtrack so obviously and so with so much cowardice and, and bow to a little bit of peer pressure the way that he did. I'd love to tell you that I would never do that, but I'm, I'm betting you still remember the story I told at the beginning. When, when I saw something wrong, And I took the risk and I faced the crowd and I put a stop to it like a gosh darn superhero and people followed. And then a little bit later when the the clarity faded and my resolve faded, then I shrunk back in fear. Like a coward and I was afraid to fight a battle that I had already fought and won. And people followed that too. So... Um, if you're a Sunday school rat, then and, and you know the stories, then you know that Peter has a long track record of doing stuff like this. You know, he declares, and then he waffles, and back and forth he goes. And I, man, when I read his stories, I just get so mad at him. I get so mad at Peter. It's not because I cannot relate to Peter. It's precisely because I can so clearly relate to Peter, and I can honestly, I can trace the same patterns all too well in my own life. Let me ask you something, if you'll allow me to point out the obvious here. Have you ever noticed um, that you have to like, you have to decide to decide things? But you don't have to decide to to undecide things? (laughs) Because like, like I usually, if I'm going to do the right thing, it's, I have to like really decide to do the right thing. And, and for me, it's like a whole production. You know, I, I lay it all out. I think it all through. I, I humble myself before the Lord. I pray. I, I psych myself up. I make promises to stick to it forever this time. And when I decide to decide something, it's a whole big thing. But when, when I undecide that same thing, it just It just happens. Sometimes I don't even notice it. Like in the story I, I shared before, when I stood up for Olivia, I had, I had been working up to that, you know? I have been, been building to that. The, the night before, I was begging God for courage. And I got up that morning, and I said, this is the day. I said to myself, this is the day. And I did it. But when I undecided, that just, that just kind of happened. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? There wasn't very many of you. <laughs> just like me and Peter and seven of you. I don't know. I don't know. So, for example, I, I decided um, that all of my money is God's money. It's not mine. I'm just stewarding it, theoretically stewarding it, and it's not mine. And so it's all his. And so I, I decided once and for all that every financial decision would be fueled by the values of Christ. Made a whole big thing of it, you know? I decided. I drew a line in the sand. And then sometimes I just undecide that. And there's no hoopla. It just happens. Um, one of the things that I do, when, when I get tired and discouraged, and I'm just, uh, the stress is high, I'm not doing great, My my go-to move is to escape and just, just, like, disappear into another world. (laughs) Usually that means I veg out and I watch whatever one of 10 million streaming services too much, you know. And um, there's nothing, like, inherently evil about that. I'm not saying that. But I I figured out a long, long time ago that it's a whole lot better if I will do almost anything but that. If I do anything that even vaguely resembles a spiritual practice or walking with Jesus... If I pray or I, I write or journal or I study the Bible or I read a book that I'm into or I call a friend or I take a walk. If I, take, if I do really anything vaguely a spiritual practice other than that, then I end up really glad that I did that thing. And so I decided once and for all that I wasn't going to do the veg out and stream thing. And logically, if you decide something once and for all, you should only decide it once but I've decided that one a few times. I've decided that I would do what Paul would do here in this story, that, that I would be the type of man who had the courage to have the hard conversation when somebody that I loved, a brother and sister in Christ, was missing the mark that I was going to have the courage to look them in the eye and have a hard conversation. I've decided that. <laughs> and I don't know, it's probably true that most of the time, In the moment, I just undecided. Easter's coming up, a couple of weeks. I've decided that as awkward as it may be, I'm going to invite people to church. I'm going to share my faith with people. I don't even know if I'm good at it or not, but I'm going to. I've decided. I've, I've also undecided that a few times as well. I could keep going. But I'm going to ask again. I gave you that long list of examples because... Not enough of you nodded when I asked before. <laughs> that was a punishment. <laughs> Let's try again. Can anybody relate? Yeah. All right, that feels more true. <laughs> and it's the same thing with Peter. It's not like he decided, I'm going to be a coward now. It just it just started happening. Okay, but really, lean in, folks, because like, this is it, man. <laughs> My point, then, is not that Peter was a screw up and a failure and so am I and so are you. That's not my point. My, my point is not that there's no point in deciding because you're not going to stick to it anyway so just break the cycle and stop trying to be better. Not the point. It's actually the opposite. I just want to remind you, I mean we sort of focus on his screw ups but Peter was Peter! Like he led untold thousands of people to life with Jesus. He had an incredible ministry. He had so much integrity. that when it came time for him to be crucified, he said, crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to die in the same manner as my Lord. Peter, Jesus said he was the rock upon which the whole church was built. Peter, he was awesome. He decided to make some decisions, and those decisions, the courageous things that he did, he changed the world, guys, full stop. He changed the world. And the fact that he sometimes had to be reminded that he was trying to be a great man, the fact that sometimes he lost sight of his commitments to be a great man, that doesn't make him a failure it makes him the type of person with the faith and the courage to actually try to be great. The fact that he was imperfect did not make him a loser or a failure. It made him a human. And it gave him the opportunity to like, maybe fail better the next time. The problem, the, the bigger problem that we face is not the people who try to do great things and fail. It's the people who try to do nothing and succeed. That's a problem. As I've, I've tried and failed so many times. It's part of the human condition. I've, I have decided things with gusto, and I have undecided those same things with a whimper. I have done it again and again. But I really believe that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I think that's true. And again, Paul's pointing telling the story. Remember, he's not trying to out Peter as a screw-up. He's just setting the record straight. He's going, yeah, Peter lost the plot for a bit there and he needed to be corrected, but he turned it around. The point is that his failure isn't his legacy. He did what people with grit and, and integrity and resolve do. He acknowledged the wrong and then he redecided and continued on pursuing great things. Does that make sense? I hope so. Alright, so Lauren's gonna come, I think help me wrap this up. We're gonna have Selah. Uh, Selah is when we take a, a couple of minutes to, to pray and reflect. And just gonna do this uh, do this fairly quickly. Let me invite you to close your eyes, and bow your heads if you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. You don't have to, but let's just take a moment to invite the presence of the Lord. This is where we try to make this as personal as we possibly can. We try to figure where this applies and lands for us. So, you know, the second time I tried, I found out that at least most of you can relate. We decide things and then we undecide things. And that can be discouraging. Um, And when when we try to do something great and then we fail and stumble along the way, then it's kind of logical. I think we expect to then be approached by the Lord with shame and condemnation, and it's just not true. Instead, he comes to pick us up. He comes with grace. He comes with kindness. He comes with more love than you can imagine. And I can assure you, as he picks us up out of the dirt, he does not say, man, you blew it. Don't bother trying again. He says again with more love than you can imagine. Let's do this again. So maybe a a list. Maybe one thing, maybe a few things, I don't know, but maybe a list could begin to populate in your mind of some things you've decided. You did, you decided, you remember it. It was a thing. You decided a thing. And then somewhere you, I guess you undecided it because it's not a thing anymore. And that wasn't a moment you probably don't remember undeciding. But if that's where you're at, I just feel like the King of Glory would love to come with you Come to you right now in love, pick you up, dust you off, and say, Okay, let's do it again. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is more than enough. And you are being sanctified. He's saying, You're becoming more and more like me every day. And this next time we're gonna we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it better. So if you've undecided a thing or two. I would encourage you to be bold in this moment. Redecide.